0: Let's pray together. Father, as we come into this month when we celebrate the coming of the Savior, it's easy for us to think that we've got it, and, and Lord, we don't. There is something so significant about your coming. There's mysteries, and there's also realities that we have yet to take hold of. Even as we are looking at this song, The Magnificent, this glorious inspired word that you gave to your servant Mary. Today, it resounds in our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit, reminding us of who you are, what you've called us to be. So may we today be renewed in our faith. May some today find faith as we look at this verse that is so, so rich and provides so much insight into your very nature and to our greatest need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at the song of Mary. It was inspired having had her faith become sight. She visited Elizabeth, her relative, uh, who she was told by the angel Gabriel, who had in her old age become pregnant. So Mary now realizes this is true and there is an affirmation in her heart. Now let's remember, Mary is singing this song under the old covenant. It's a New Testament story. It's an old covenant reality. She is still speaking as one who has not yet seen the the new covenant come into reality. And so she sings a song that is very much like the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel when she found out she was going to have a child, uh, some of the praise psalms, Psalm 89 and others. And so this song may or may not have been fresh and new in the moment when it was inspired for Mary to sing, but nonetheless the spirit of God has given it, it is recorded now in holy scripture. And so we can study it and see it for what it is. And today we're going to look closely at a single verse. We're going to look at verse 50 of this entire song. And there's so, there's so much in this. And I pray that God's spirit enables us to grasp at least a portion that we might understand and leave this place in awe of God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and let's go to first. I'm sorry, first John. I've been there all year. Luke 1. Luke 1, and this is where you will find the Magnificent. Uh, Chad Groff is going to come up with his family. Chad is our high school pastor, and we're grateful uh, for his leadership. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, give it to him. And uh, he's going to introduce his family, and then his family is going to read for us uh, this beautiful song of Mary. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And uh, Chad, tell us, tell us who we've got here with us. Good morning, this is my wife Joni, Ethan, Sophia and Josiah. Sophia, Josiah, and Ethan. All right, so Sophia, you're first, aren't you? All right, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The Word of God. Thank you, Gross. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. This, this text is so beautiful. This verse in particular is it's a provision for us in a lot of ways. I know it is for me because it helps keep us from saying something rather foolish. You know, we've got to be careful in life and with God that we don't ask for foolish things. This text helps protect us from saying something foolish like, I only want what I deserve. If we understand what we deserve, we will never want it. If God gave us instant justice, there's not a person here who would want it. Justice is good. Justice provides structure to society. It provides law. And that is good. And our God is just. There is nothing deceitful or evil or wrong in any way in our God. But our God is not only just. Our God is merciful. Everything he does is right. But he's also merciful in that he does not always give what is deserved. Because hope has come, mercy is available. Because hope has come, there's now an opportunity for us to have a new life. Without Jesus, we would only get what we deserve. Understand what mercy is mercy is not getting what you deserve. Yesterday, I was at Little League basketball, and the officials were being merciful because there were violators all over that court. They were traveling, they, they, were, they were double dribbling, they were not staying within the lines of play, they were going out of bounds. I remember uh, a couple years ago, one little guy, he obviously had been playing football because he took the pass, he tucked it under his arm, lowered the shoulder, nailed a kid, <laughs> ran through, scored, and then gave it this business. Yeah! <laughs> and was indignant that it didn't count. Indignant that it did not count. He was called a lawbreaker and he did not agree. But he was shown mercy to some extent. He wasn't kicked out. He was allowed to continue to play. The officials were, were merciful yesterday in Little League basketball. Can you think of a time in your own life when you should have gotten something and, and it was a pretty heavy penalty and you didn't get it because someone was merciful to you? I remember when I was 16, I had been driving uh, for just a few months, and I had just an awesome car, a 1979 Ford Fiesta. (laughs) And I've got pictures if you want to, you know, I don't want to make you, you know, feel envious or anything, but yeah, that's what I drove. And uh, I was at a baseball game, and I was parked uh, in kind of an awkward way and I wasn't a very good driver and as I was pulling out I rubbed right across the fir- front quarter panel of my football coach's car. I mean just you know just rubbed right across. I was like oh no. So I went to find the coach brought him over said coach I have, I have hit your car. I have rubbed your car. He said well pull it back let's see how bad it is. Okay. Right I'm pulling. He's like you didn't have to do it twice, but okay. That's all right. That's you're learning. You're learning. Fortunately, the car had been hit so many times. We couldn't tell what I caused and what other people had caused or what he himself had caused at some point. And so he was very merciful to me. He said, you know what, Pettis, let's call, let's just chalk this up as a life lesson and don't do it anymore. And I said, coach, if it's okay with you and my dad doesn't find out, we're good. We are good. But he was merciful to me. The officials were merciful to the players. Our God is merciful. Jesus has come so that God can be merciful. Hope has come to be merciful. And what I want us to see in this text today is what has happened because hope has come. Make note of this. Because hope has come, mercy is available. It's available to us. I mean, these first three verses in verse 50, and his mercy... His mercy is real. It's true. And, and it produces this gospel, this hope that we have, this experience that we can have. We understand God's design that we're supposed to and made to live in harmony with God, with ourselves and with others. And we know that's not the reality. We're born with a sin nature. That's why there's so much conflict and brokenness because of sin. But God did not abandon us. Instead, he sent his son to die for our sin. He has been raised. He is alive. And so now we can go to him. We can repent. We can believe in him. And because he is alive, he makes us alive to him. And we can now pursue and recover God's design. And this becomes a process of life. This is not just a single step. But once you have received grace by faith in Christ alone, this creates a whole new life. Because the more you become what God designed you to be, the more you're going to be aware and sensitive to sin. And the more you see that sin, the more you're going to understand the brokenness that it creates in your relationships and in your own heart and mind. And you repent and believe because of the gospel, which allows you to pursue and recover God's design more clearly. This way of life, this process of the gospel is made possible because of the mercy of God. And we have to understand what it is about God, who he is in his, in his being that enables him to be merciful. Hopefully you've still got your Bibles open to Luke one. I wanted to look at this last week, but today I want to take time only because without understanding who God is, we can't understand why and how it is he is able to be merciful. Understand that hope that has come, Jesus that has come is first of all, he's Lord. Look in verse six. I'm sorry, 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. He is the master of all things. All that is belongs to him. He made it. He sustains it. Friends, let me don't make light of this. Your time is his. Your energy is his. Your body, all that holds you together, all that you own, all that you wear, all that, 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 that there are possession, all of it is his you say, well, I earned the paycheck. Who gave you the hands? Who sustained your hands? All of it is his. He is Lord of all. And every single one of us are going to give an account to him for how we stewarded what he gave to us. He is Lord. And note also, he is Savior. Verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in my savior. He is the rescuer. He didn't have to rescue us. He could abandon us in a sin, but instead he chose that he would pursue us to give us a new life, a life in him. He has the power to do it because he is mighty. Look at verse 49 for he who is mighty has done great things for me. He is the strong one. There is no limit to the power of God. Many of you know, one of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, Luke 18, 27. What is it It says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Listen, there's some things that you and I can't do. We can't change a heart. We can't undo what's been done. Our God has the power to make things new. Our God has a power that goes beyond anything we can hope or imagine. What is impossible with us is possible with God. And don't think just because you're suffering. Don't think just because you're having to deal with the consequences of your actions or things, or think because of, of the way things are that, that somehow God is, is incapable of providing his blessing in it. John Piper said that this in his devotion this week. And I don't know if you got this one. It's called Sovereign Joy. It's an app. I've studied this every day. It is glorious. It is, it's not called sovereign joys. What is it it's called? Solid joy. That's what it's called. Solid joy. Look what he said this week. It was so good. Do not think because you experience adversity that the hand of the Lord is shortened. Look, God can make good out of all things. You say, well, all things, he made good come out of the cross. He can make good come out of anything. There's never been a greater travesty of justice than the Holy One dying for the sins of those who don't deserve it. He took what it was horrible and wrong and bad, and he worked it for good. How was he able to do that? Because he's mighty. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is mighty, and he is holy. Again, back to verse 49. And holy is his name. He is pure. He is completely other than us. There is no darkness or evil in him at all. He is perfect and without any deficiency. And because of that, he is worthy to be our God. He is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to be exalted and praised. And one day he will. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There will be a day When we will understand completely his worthiness. But let us by faith now choose to to understand his worth. Because there is a day coming when we will see it, and we will simply want to just to rejoin and to to celebrate in the line of of thinking and the line of worship we've already rejoiced in. You you look at like a Revelation chapter five, verse nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. What they're saying is, worthy are you to open up and to own and create and and be the possessor of all reality. Opening up the scrolls was the opening up of the reality of, of, of time and space. And what was to happen next? He was sovereign over it. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In verse 12, it goes on Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And this God, this Jesus, He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of, of our admiration. He's worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our life because He is Lord. He is mighty. He is Savior. And He is holy. And He loves us. We are none of those things. And He loves us. And that mercy makes makes Him available to us. Because hope has come. Mercy is available. But look at who it is available to. It is a small it is a small group. Look in verse 50 again. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Because hope has come. Write it down. Fear is appropriate. I know that there are those in secular society and secular education, who would say, fear, fear is never appropriate. Fear is always bad. And while there certainly is inappropriate fear, there is appropriate fear. And the appropriate fear to have is a fear of God. Fear of God is appropriate because He is God. And God has, He has nothing He is afraid of. Our God is not afraid of death. Our God is not afraid of the shadow of the valley of death. He is, not a great, he is not afraid of darkness or suffering or pain. He has endured it all and defeated it. Everyone. He has no fear. And we should fear the one who has no fear. Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't, don't, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and send the soul to an eternity in hell. I say to you, fear him. It is right to fear God, and we when we fear Him, it's when we understand how powerful and holy and all-knowing He is. Because here's the thing: here's what we do. Here's what I do. I know this is what you do too. We suspend our belief in God to sin. When you know that God is all-powerful and holy and all-knowing, you don't sin because you're you're thinking, God sees this, and He's just. And he's powerful, and I don't want to mess with him because if I violate his law, if he wants to be, he can be just with me, and he can, he can do whatever he wants because he's God. I, uh, I saw something, it was, just, it was kind of reminding me of this very small picture of it um, this week as I saw a, a young lady get pulled over and get a, 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 a ticket, a violation by the police. How many of you, when you were... Um, an adolescent. And some of you are that now, and you probably don't want to necessarily let your parents know that this may have happened. But how many of you have been pulled over by a police officer as a young adult? Yes. The 930 crowd's a bunch of liars. They did not hold their hands up. I had to call somebody out because I knew at least one story in the room. All right. It's on video. It's, it's posted. Uh, they know. Everyone will know now, right? it's such a terrifying feeling, isn't it? It's so awful. And I watched, I watched this little girl. She pulled over and he hadn't even got out of the car yet. And I just saw her over there. <laughs> and she's freaking out and I get it, right? You get it. It's the worst feeling because, you know, she's like, what's going to happen to me? Am am my parents going to get mad at, you know, am I going to lose my license? Is my insurance going to go way up? Am I going to go to jail? I mean, how, what are we talking about here, right? There is fear because she had broken the law. And now she's going to have to deal with justice. Friends, there is a fear that is appropriate in us when we see God for who he is. And we see what we deserve in light of what we've done. And we understand how other he is of us. It is right and it is appropriate for us to have fear. Let me tell you something. If you don't fear God, it's because you don't know who he is. If you do not have a fear of God, let me tell you, you've created your own that only exists in your head. Because the one true God is a God to be feared. It is appropriate to fear this God. And I'm going to tell you, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to fear God. Because let me tell you what happens. When, when we fear God, it causes us to be in awe of God. And when we're in awe of God, we worship God. And when we worship God, we obey God. <coughs> Look at this. Think about it. The fear of God causes an awe of God. And, and which causes worship of God. Which causes obedience to God. And there's the blessing. See, when there is a fear of God, there is an awe of God. And when there is an awe of God, there is a worship of God. And when you worship God, you obey God. And when you obey God, you receive the blessing of God. Fear is appropriate because hope has come. And it hasn't come just for us. Look at, look at the extent to which hope is intended to go. Again, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Make note of this. Because hope has come, generations can be awakened. One of the greatest opportunities in joy in life is to be a parent who passes on the faith from their life to the life of their children and grandchildren, from one generation to the other. It's one of the core values here at Living Hope. It's family discipleship, passing the faith on to the next generation. And we get this core value from Psalm 48, verses four and seven, and it speaks of this responsibility and this privilege and this picture of what it looks like. Guys, put Psalm 48 for me up tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I'm sorry, it's not 48, Psalm 78. This is a glorious privilege. There's no greater gift that we can give to our children. Young people, you who are one day going to be parents, there's no greater gift that you will be able to give to your future children than to pass on the faith that you have to them. There's no greater gift. So make sure you've got it and pass it on. And parents, do not be frustrated with your children if they don't appreciate the gift. You know, I don't know what Christmas morning is like at your house, but typically what it's been for our house is this. I'm up early. I'm pumped up because I've invested money and sometimes blood, because I've got skin in this game, building stuff. I'm ready for everybody to be up and be fired up about these gifts. And you know what? I've had to actually go and wake those people up. (laughs) And I mean, I'm like, whoa, you know, Christmas day. Yes. My kids are like, dad, seriously. You know what, what, what can happen parents? Listen, there's there's an awakening that sometimes it needs to happen in our children. We don't need to be frustrated with them. Some of our children, we say, This is the greatest thing you will ever know. Jesus loves you. Okay. <sighs> don't get frustrated with them. Pray for an awakening. You know, listen, we can't awaken a child's heart. I can wake a kid up, I can tell you that right now. But I can't awaken a child's heart. Neither can you. Only God can bring a part awakening. But we can join him in what he's doing. And here's how. We can pray for him. We can teach them God's word. And, and, and probably most importantly, is we can model our faith. See, our children are looking to us for us to tell them what really matters. They're asking us, what, what, what am I supposed to be about? You know, when you think about John the forerunner, Elizabeth's pregnant baby who leaped when she was, uh, once she heard the voice of Mary, this John the Baptist, you know, his parents were, were, were elderly and they probably did not get to raise John into his adolescence, maybe certainly not into his young adulthood, but they told John, they gave him a vision for what his life was to be. And it happened, and I, we don't have time to do it this year. Sometime I want to preach through this. Is I want to preach through the song of Zechariah. I hope you're still open to First John. I'm sorry to Luke chapter one. But you know what? I can put it up here. This is what John's parents said about him. This is what they This is what they said. This is best for you. This is Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 76. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And he lived out what they told him he was to be. John's parents gave him a gift of faith. And then spoke to him and said, this is the best way of life for you. Here's what they said. Be great at this. What are we telling the next generation to be great at? Academia, athletics, arts. All of those are good things all of them are good things. Are we telling them to gain possessions, be popular, have notoriety, have power, enjoy pleasure? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. All of those are good things. But are we telling them that 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 is the best thing? Are we saying be great at making money. Be great at having people applaud you. Be great at a specific skill set that will get your name in the paper. Be great at that and put that as the top of your list and make that the most important thing that you accomplish with your life. Is that what we're telling them? Because while those things are good, they're not best. This week as I prepared... Here's here's the word I got from the Lord. Be great at fearing God, rejoicing in his mercy and giving it away. Think about that. Be great at fearing God, at seeing God for who he is, And being in awe of him so that you worship him and obey him. Be great at that. And then rejoice in his mercy. Every day just rejoice. I'm not getting what I deserve today. I deserve to be dead to God. I deserve punishment for my sin. I deserve destruction. I'm not getting what I deserve today. I'm loved. I am. I matter to the almighty. He has a plan for my pain. He has a plan, a purpose for my life. I'm not getting what I deserve. Rejoice in his mercy and then give it away. Let me ask you, is that what you're great at? Are you great at fearing God? Are you great at rejoicing in His mercy? Are you great at giving it away? If not, we've missed it. We've missed why Jesus came. We've missed the blessing. It's nice to have stuff. It's nice to be important in the world's eyes. It's it's nice to be accomplished in tasks and things. They're all going to go away. And if you build your identity on them, you're building them on a ground that will soon fall in. But to build your life on the mercy of God, to rejoice in it, and to give it away, there's nothing better we can do. And this morning, I want to invite you to commit yourself to that. To say, God, I want to do good things, but I don't want to miss the best thing by being involved in a good thing. I want to make the best thing my life, and then I'll do all the good things in light of the best thing. But if you do not have the best thing, if you do not have his mercy, you've got nothing. And if you're telling your children to make the best thing out of a good thing, you're giving them nothing be great at fearing God, rejoicing in his mercy and giving away. And if you need to ask God to help you to do that today, come and do that now. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, would you now, as we sing of your mercy, would you renew our hope in it? Would you make us aware of ways in which we are living for maybe good things, but they're not you. They're, they're not the things that will satisfy They're not ultimate things. Lord, make it our ambition to be great at fearing you, rejoicing in you, and giving you away. And in so doing, we will will experience life the way you've recreated it to be in Jesus. I pray for some who today need to come and get on their knees before you. Maybe just need to sit where they are. We don't got a lot of space today, but God, maybe they just need to grab the hand of someone and say, pray for me. Maybe they need to reach down in their child's ear and say, be, be great at fearing God, rejoicing in mercy and giving it away. And then just praying there. Lord, hear the prayers of your people as we sing of your mercy now in Jesus' name, amen.